Ephesians 4, we'll be looking at uh, verses 11 through 16, and I think we'll be making it through uh, verse 12, actually. We'll read verses 11 through 16, but I think we'll look at uh, verses 11 and 12 this morning. So before we read the passage and uh, take a look at it, let's, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we take a look at how you've designed the church to operate, we're delighted that you have not left us as orphans, but you've filled us with your Spirit and you've given us your Word, which was written by your Spirit as you move men to write. So we thank you for this guidance, this help on how we are to relate to one another and what we're called to do uh, now that you've saved us. And we pray that you would make it clear in each of our hearts and lives uh, how it is that we're supposed to use our gifts in the church and how it is that we're supposed to interact one another so that the church can be built up. So we pray that you'll do this by the work of your Holy Spirit working in each of us and for the sake of Christ, your Son, in whose name we pray, amen. Ephesians 4 at verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, verses 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Thus far, God's word to us, may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. So I'd like us to see in verses 11 through 16, beloved, uh, just four uh, things. Uh, Number one, and I think we're going to get through the first three this morning. Number one, how are the saints equipped? Secondly, what are the saints equipped for? Thirdly, why are the saints equipped? And then finally, how can I know if I'm equipped for ministry? So how are the saints equipped? What are the saints equipped for or to do? Why are the saints equipped? And then how can I know if I'm equipped for ministry? So beginning with how are the saints equipped for ministry? We see this, we briefly noted it last time uh, in verse 11, but I want to sort of run through this as well. Again, we notice in verse 11, how are the saints equipped for ministry? Well, somebody is called to equip them. And we see, first of all, uh, the apostles which are the foundation of uh, the new covenant, as it were, Christ being the cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets, the foundation, as we know from chapter 2, verse 20, earlier on in this book. The apostles are of the utmost importance for equipping the saints. Without the apostles, we don't have the New Testament. Without the apostles, we don't have eyewitness accounts and then all of Paul's letter and Peter's letters and, and John's letters all throughout the New Testament. So therefore, the church would have gone nowhere without the work of the apostles, which means that every time we sit down and read the Bible, 
We can offer this prayer up, Lord. Thank you that you called men to be apostles. Thank you for this gift. The very fact that we're going through Ephesians means we can be thankful that the Lord called Paul into the kingdom and also into his work as an apostle so that he could write this letter and that we could benefit from it uh, some 1950 years later. And then the saints are also equipped for ministry by the prophets. Now, the prophets aren't apostles. They didn't inscripturate things. But in the absence of the New Testament canons, as we noticed last time, they spoke in a way that guided the churches. So the Lord revealed things directly to the prophets. They would speak these things to the people, and then the people would know how they're called to live in the new covenant because the old covenant had passed away and we're in sort of a brand new administration of how God relates to his people. So the church would have been in utter chaos, complete chaos, really lost and at odds with figuring out how in the world do we live in this world now that we're on the other side of Christ's death and resurrection. The prophets provided that guidance. God used them to lead the people in the absence of the closed canon. And so those are really the foundational gifts that God gave to the church, gifts that he no longer continues to give. Once the foundation is laid of the apostles and prophets that were told, in, again, in Ephesians 2.20, you only lay the foundation once, right? You don't call the foundation crew back again to put on the roof. They lay the foundation, and then you build on top of that foundation. And the way that we build on top of the foundation is through the evangelists and then the shepherd teachers. So evangelists, we noticed Philip last time. He was really the first evangelist. We noticed that Timothy was called to do the work of an evangelist so that an evangelist isn't someone who uh, uh, has a set of tasks that no one else can duplicate. We're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to go out and tell others about Jesus. And shepherd teachers are called to do the work of evangelism. But there are those people that God has uh, intricately gifted to go tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, put them in a setting where people are already believers and they might get a little bit antsy, maybe a little bit frustrated because they want to go out into the world and they find themselves at home with non-Christians. They find themselves in the midst of their calling. They have a way, a winsome way, about telling others of the Lord Jesus Christ and how you can find hope. And if you've ever seen these kind of people with this, this calling, this, this gift as an evangelist, it's quite something to watch. Whereas we might be ashamed of telling others about Jesus, they would be ashamed of not doing it. It flows out of their very life. It flows out of their lips. They love to do it. They've been gifted by the Lord to do it. And so it's just part of the warp and woof of who they are. They found bread. They see starving people, and they want to tell them where they found bread. (laughs) Here's where you can find the bread. (laughs) Let me tell you about Jesus. I found him. He's the answer to all of your problems. You need him right now. And so I'm calling you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. And then, and then you can go talk to somebody else who will disciple you. <laughs> but, but you need Christ. And so they call people to repent and believe. The, uh, here's one thing that I want to mention about uh, the word equipping. We're going to get into this a little bit. But the word equipping has to do with actually setting people right actually uh, fixing what's broken in us. So even evangelists are called to do this. When we are broken, they walk in, and one of the ways that they fix or equip us is by unbreaking our unbelief and helping restore us as new people in the Lord. So their work is also the equipping of the saints. It's not just for the apostles or the prophets or the shepherd teachers, but also the evangelists do this work as well. 
and then there are shepherd teachers. Now, I, I mentioned last time, this is, uh, you could argue, maybe one calling with two descriptions, one gift package, as it were, with two descriptions of it, because there's no definite article before teachers. So the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then the shepherds and teachers. So a lot of people have seen this is one category of gift. Uh, if, you're, if you're going to shepherd, you've got to be able to teach. If you're going to teach, you have to be able to shepherd as well. And what all of these gift packages have in common, what all of these people have in common, is that they are given by God to the church for one purpose. And I want you to notice that purpose. It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's why God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherd teachers is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's really, you might say, the key idea. Now, the word equip in verse 12 means simply this, just a bare-bones definition, to cause to be in a condition to function well, to put in order, to restore, or the process of perfecting or equipping. So the word assumes that by nature, we don't function well as human beings now. That when Adam and Eve fell into sin, one thing that we lost as human beings is our ability to function well. And so the work of equipping has to do with causing us to function well, with, create, with recreating us, as it were, into the image of someone <laughs> uh, whereby when we're in his image, we can actually know how to live and how to function in God's creation. Now, this work all starts, the work of equipping, with the work of evangelists. If there are no evangelists, then there is no church to shepherd and teach. The evangelists, you could argue, are almost the prior work. If, if there's nobody who shows up on Sunday because nobody's won over to Christ and there's no people to gather together to worship, then Sunday school teachers, then pastors, everyone's out of a job, everyone's out of a calling. There's no way to use those gifts unless they're first reached for the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the ways that evangelists help equip the saints is by first bringing, being of the Lord, uh, being used of the Lord to bring them into the kingdom, to help restore their unbelief from, to help restore them from unbelief to belief, to fix that problem. There's a big problem with unbelief. It doesn't work. It doesn't function well. It doesn't build up the church. In fact, it destroys the church. And so the evangelists, they go out for the sake of building up the body. You could argue numerically, they go out into the world and they build up this body by gathering people, gathering the saints in, gathering in all whom God will save, whoever they might be, as they spread the gospel. And they, they equip then the saints by bringing them in. Then the shepherd teachers, when God brings people into the kingdom, we come into the kingdom broken, right? We're kind of like, you ever seen those toilets in public restrooms? They have an out-of-order sign on them. They say, don't use them. It doesn't work well. A lot of work has to be done to the toilet before you can use it. Beloved, that's how we come into the kingdom, as it were, out of order. A lot of things broken. And many of us maybe came into the kingdom when we were two years old. So we see a lot less brokenness in our lives than someone who came into the kingdom at 50 years old. They're going to have a lot more brokenness, a lot more sinful habits, a lot more tendencies that you might actually be astonished by. But we all come into this world, or into this kingdom now, out of order needing to be taught. And we come into this kingdom with a, f a few things out of order. Some of the things that are out of order actually might be, uh, might have their roots in our, in our hearts. So our hearts are off. 
And so we need the proclamation of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need, we need that hit home to us until our hearts are changed, until we have new loves and new affections, until our heart really does love the Lord Jesus Christ, until we actually do desire the things of God uh, and, and we do want to do His will and His bidding. So many of us, uh, we need part of our equipping is actually heart work, which can then provide us the motivation to go out and serve the Lord because we know what we're supposed to do and we have the opportunity to do it, but we don't want to do it and we won't do it. We're just not motivated to do it. And so when you hear the proclamation of our Lord Jesus Christ by, by shepherd teachers, by those who are going to stand up as Paul did, and Him we proclaim, Colossians 1.28, when we hear that, it moves our hearts. There's something about it. It's like a tuning fork. When you proclaim Christ, every Christian heart starts to resonate with that. Oh, you mean Jesus Christ died for me? Oh, you mean He paid for my sins? Oh, you mean the Lord Jesus Christ came down here and He didn't just die, but before that He lived perfectly and it was for living in my place? You mean He amassed a whole mountain of righteousness? absolute perfection, never once broke any of the law, perfectly kept all the Ten Commandments, every jot and tittle. You mean He did all of that for me? So that when I believe in Him, it's not just that my sins are forgiven, but that this whole package comes to me, and I'm actually counted before the Lord as if I had lived as perfect as Jesus did? Wow. Okay, now I'm ready to go serve the Lord. Well, this is, this is amazing. So he didn't just die for me, which he did. He, all my sins are forgiven. But I've actually got put into my bank account, as it were, the million dollars that it takes to get into heaven so that there's nothing more I need to do except just to live for the glory of God and for the good of his church. That's exactly right. Beloved, that changes our hearts. That can change us down to the depths of our souls so that then we're ready to go do the things that we know we're supposed to do and maybe haven't had the motivation for doing. But Paul says, if you're, if you're going to present everyone mature in Christ, Colossians 1.28, we, him we proclaim, so there's a proclamation of our Lord Jesus Christ, warning everyone, so there's warning, and then teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So there's proclamation, which can get right down to our hearts. There's warning, which has to do with our will and equipping us by forming and shaping our will. And then there's teaching, which has to do with our minds. So having our hearts changed, we're now better equipped to build up the body of Christ. But what about our wills? Paul uses this word warning in Colossians 1.28. Warning everyone. It's actually the word for nutheteo. There's actually a, a nuthetic counseling movement that was, that was based out of this. It literally means to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct to counsel about avoidance of or cessation of an improper course of conduct. So one of the ways that the saints are equipped, perfected, and grown is by receiving warnings, beloved, warnings against our will. It's when somebody comes to us and says, I wouldn't do that. That's a crossing of our will. <laughs> We're ready to do this, and someone comes in, a brother or sister, a teacher as it were, someone comes in and says, look, I wouldn't do that. It's a crossing of the will saying, turn around, go back, don't, don't walk down this path. Even though we've decided I want to walk down this path, and I'm going to walk down this path, and they say, don't do it. 
Beloved, that's how the saints as well are equipped. That's how we're equipped for the works of ministry is by also being warned of certain things, being warned, don't do these sins. Don't walk down this road. That's how God equips us. And then there's also the, the aspect of teaching, which, which uh, some sins have their roots in our minds, some in the heart, some in the will, as it were, and some in our minds, where we can really be ignorant of how we're called to live. We can really be ignorant of how we're called to serve the Lord. We just don't know. So teaching helps us. When the word is systematically taught through, we start to figure out, here's what I'm called to do with my life. Here's how I'm called to serve the Lord. Here's what I'm supposed to be doing. Or, as we looked at already this morning, we're reminded of things we already knew, but we just forgot. Oh, yeah, here's how I'm supposed to talk. I'm not supposed to gossip. I'm not supposed to steal. I'm not supposed to cheat. Here's some things I'm just not supposed to do. I, I, I needed to be reminded of that, or I would have been tempted to do it. So the saints are equipped for the work of ministry by the word, by the power of the Spirit, by the work of those who are going to be teaching the word of God and shepherding us as we walk through this life. Beloved, what do shepherds and teachers use? What do evangelists use? What did the apostles write? And what did the prophets prophesy about? It's the word of God. That's what is used to equip us for the work of ministry the Word of God. And it's not just the bare Word of God. The Spirit has to be active because we can know all about the Word of God. We can hear the Word of God. But if the Spirit isn't working in our hearts and lives to bring it home, then it can be a bare exercise. So, beloved, putting ourselves in the way of the Word of God is indeed part of our equipping. It's part of the process of us figuring out what our ministry is to be. So secondly, I want us to notice, what are the saints equipped for? And it's simply the phrase, for the work of ministry. Now, the word ministry here is the word diakonos, from which we get the word deacon. It means service or meeting needs or performing obligations. It means to carry out duties or the performance of a service. And Paul's saying that uh, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd teachers are given to equip the saints for the work of performing this service. So I want us to notice, first of all, that this is work. Ministry is work. And what God does in equipping us is he equips us to actually put our hand to the plow and start doing the work of ministry. It's not going to come easy. Whatever ministries God has called us to, or maybe the word ministry is too uh, loaded with freight that might help us not to see, might actually cloud over the issue. Whatever works of service that God calls us to do, whatever work, whatever deeds God is calling us to do, they are work, beloved. It's going to be hard. It can be difficult. It might make you sweat a little bit. You might find yourself with less time, less emotional energy. You might find yourself feeling hassled, even frustrated. Oh, beloved, the Word of God is ministered to us to equip us for that very work. And it's indeed work. You can, this work can be done inside the church. Many of us have ministries, have services right inside the congregations of which we're members. And that's where our work is exhausted. That's where our labors are found primarily, and that's good and right. Many of our works are outside of the congregation, outside of the church, where we're doing acts of mercy, deeds of mercy. We're working with the poor, maybe with those who have a bad taste in their mouth over the church, maybe those non-Christians who, who are just very lost. Our, our ministries are outside of the church. That's very possible. But in any case, beloved, we are being equipped for the work of ministry. Now, I want to just 
walk through this illustration and, and, and make this point. Imagine with me, if you would, um, I'll save this for later. When we first come to faith, we're not equipped or put together enough to be able to do much service. We probably have a lot of zeal without knowledge. But as we grow as believers, as we progress in the faith, we're gradually put together, as it were, and made much more useful in the kingdom. Our work then, as those believers who are equipped, is a real ministry. I want to just pause here, as it were, and sort of maybe say something that might not sit well with us as Reformed people. Notice who's doing the ministry. The saints are being equipped for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? The set-apart ones. Every single born-again Christian. Those who've come to faith. Saint does not mean, when Paul is using it here, someone who's holier than thou or someone who's more holy than other people. It's, there's not a moral element to this in the sense of our morality. It's, it's the word for holiness. It has to do with being set apart. You've been set apart in the kingdom of God. You've been set apart in the church for a different use. Now you're going to serve the king rather than ourselves. We're going to serve Jesus rather than the world and ourselves. So the saints are now being equipped for the work of ministry. Beloved, that's you and that's me. And sometimes in the Reformed world, we can, we can so miss this. We say, you know, people are called to the ministry, and indeed, pastors are called to a ministry. But beloved, when you came to faith in Christ, you were called to a ministry too. You are being equipped for this ministry by the walking through of the Word of God. You're supposed to be being equipped for the ministry. And the question for each of us, really, as we're looking at building up the church, is are we putting our hand to the plow of the ministry that we've been called to? I know such a notion oftentimes exists that, hey, uh, pastors, shepherd teachers, they're more important than other people in the church. But again, that's to say that because you have an office, therefore God loves you more and you're more important, beloved. But that's not the view of the office. The, uh, the call of an officer is to serve. It's actually to wash feet. Beloved, we all have a ministry. Every one of us has a calling. God is equipping you for your ministry and for you calling, for your calling, or he's supposed to be through the word. He is doing it. Maybe I get in the way or maybe you get in the way. But beloved, you are being equipped through the working of the word and by the spirit to fulfill your ministry. The ministry of Hope Church then is a ministry that we all do together. We each have our ministries and this is our ministry team now. And we each have different roles. And it's not like one of our roles is so much more important than the other and we have to put each other up on a pedestal. That, that shouldn't be the case at all. If it is, we have misunderstood what Paul's saying here, that we are all called to works of ministry. Uh, John MacArthur put it this way, limiting the ministry to a bunch of select people with degrees after their name stifles the cause of world evangelism and robs the saints of their ministries and stunts the true growth of the church. In fact, one person says the distinction between clergy and laity is unscriptural and perhaps the greatest single hindrance to the spread of the gospel. There's no such distinction biblically, none whatsoever. I'm just one of you. I happen to have certain gifts. I happen to manifest those certain gifts in this fashion, that's all. No different than you. It's not for me to do visitation of the sick any more than it's for you to do. Not for me to do the working and discipling of new Christians any more than you following up on people with problems, spiritual counseling, prayer, physical provision, showing love, reaching people with the gospel. That isn't my work. That's your work. 
It's all the service of the Christian and the church is the training place to bring the saints to maturity where they can get their spiritual preparation and go out and minister. Our task is to develop full-grown, equipped saints and see them serving. Think about it if you would, God's design for reaching the world and ministering inside the church. If one or two people, let's say there's an elder board of five people, are supposed to do all the ministry, how much work could you accomplish? Well, the work of five man's worth, right? What happens if those five people are teaching and ministering to 200 people? Now how much work can you accomplish if each one of those has a ministry? 200 persons worth. This is God's design, beloved, that there are certain people who are going to teach and equip and that we all have a ministry then. We're all called to go out and to serve. It's how the kingdom of God is advanced. Now, if saints are not equipped, there might be a few reasons why this is happening. Pastors, pastors can fail to equip them by doing all the ministry themselves. That's a, that's, a, that's a danger that sometimes often happens. We pastors get a Messiah, a Christ complex. We, we want to have our hands in everything and micromanage everything. And then we end up doing all the ministry or thinking that we're, that we're the only ones who are qualified to do all the ministry. And then it prevents the saints from doing the ministry. That can be a real problem, hindrance for saints ministering in the church. Or we pastors can fail to show people how they can be doing ministry or service, either in the church or outside. It's actually one of the, one of maybe one of the most difficult things when people say, what, what, how can I use my gifts? And, and pastors, shepherd, teachers are supposed to be walking people through the word to show them, well, here's how you can use your gifts. Here's how you can use them in this congregation. Here's how you can use them out in the world. Another way that saints might not be equipped is uh, we can wrongly think that the work of ministry belongs only to pastors and teachers. If we're sitting here as one of the saints, we can think, well, well, he's called to the ministry. He's got to do all this work. And I can just sit here, listen, and then go home and do whatever I please. But what Paul is saying is that, no, if you're a born-again Christian, you're called to a ministry as well. You're called to a specific service given the gifting that God has given you. Or maybe the saints can wrongly see their pastors as nags looking for volunteers rather than gifts from Jesus for equipping them to serve. If when you listen to sermons, you're hearing sort of a pastor nagging you to volunteer rather than maybe this, uh, the Lord Jesus calling you to serve and equipping you by means of the word you just heard, which sounded like nagging, but really isn't. It's more of a call to obedience and a call to ministry. Maybe we need to correct our thinking and how we're hearing things. Because when shepherds and teachers walk us through the Word of God and, and expose us in the Word of God, it's really Jesus calling us to these things, not them. They're just teaching the Word of God. So, beloved, how do you hear the Word of God when we walk through it? How are you listening to it? And if I'm just giving opinions, that's, you don't have to listen to that at all. But if we're unfolding the Word of God, that, that is binding on every single one of us in this room, every single Christian, and we need to be obedient to it. And then finally, why are the saints equipped for ministry? And here it is, verse 12, for building up the body of Christ. Now, the building, the word building here spoken of is really just a, a common word. We might use the word construction in the place of it. We are for the constructing of the body of Christ. Now, in the same way as you might go build a school, the church is also built up. It's constructed. 
Now, I want you to imagine something here just for a moment. Imagine if some architects got together along with a few engineers, maybe there's a, a 10-person work crew, and they're getting together all these plans for a, a high school or a, a middle school that might house like 3,000 students. And after about a year's worth of work, design, etc., they they take all their construction drawings, their blueprints, they walk out to the site, and they say, all right, now we're going to get started. We're going to get busy building this thing. And so none of them have any job site experience, so they go and try and find a bulldozer and a scraper and level out the site, and that takes them about a year <laughs> because they're really slow at it. And then they start thinking, well, we have to pour the foundation. So they start digging it. And about three years later, they have all the concrete poured forward, again, way behind schedule. And they say, well, we have to build on this foundation. We've got to build on these caissons and on these pilings. And so they start erecting all the steel. And after three years, they have half the steel up. And then they hit a snafu. And then it takes five more years to get the other half of the steel up. And they put on the exterior, again, probably two or three more years. They put the roof on. There's another year. And they start all the rough in, the electrical, the plumbing on the inside. That takes them like 10 years. takes forever. And then they do sheetrock and they do painting. And finally, after 35 years, these 10 people got all the work done. He might be saying this is ludicrous. That never happens. That's exactly right. But, beloved, sometimes in the church, that's how we view the church. And Paul is actually doing battle against that. That those architects, those engineers who are supposed to be teaching the word of God, taking this blueprint and imposing it upon the job site or the church, as it were, they're not actually the ones that are going to be doing all the work. And if our view is, well, those who are called to ministry, those elders, those pastors, they're supposed to do all the work, that's fine, but here's what's going to suffer, the building of the church. It's what's at stake. If you're going to ask architects and engineers to build a school from the ground up, you better have a lot of time and a lot of money. That construction loan is going to be laid out there for a long time. It's never going to get done. Beloved, if we're expecting the church to be built by the gifts of our local elders, whoever our pastors might be, and we're not going to pick up the work of ministry, then the church, the whole church, is what suffers. And if we really love the church, then we'll start looking at this and say, hey, there's the word of God, there's the blueprint, let's go. Show me the blueprint. Walk through the architecturals, walk through the electricals, walk through the mechanicals, walk through all this stuff. What is this supposed to look like? And then off we all go with an 80-person workforce. Off we go with a 500-person workforce, if that's what our local congregation is. Off we go, beloved, fulfilling our ministries. So the saints are equipped for the work of ministry so that or for building up the body of Christ. Here's what I want us to consider. Every single believer here is called to do works of ministry. Very simple. What is your ministry or service? When you read the Word of God, when you sit here week in and week out or somewhere else and hear the Word of God explained, taught, proclaimed, what do you become convicted of that you need to start doing? How are you being equipped? What is the Lord doing in your life to form and to fashion you because it's for your equipping and you know, you know what, Lord, I need to be serving in this way. I know that this is a ministry I need to start doing. Beloved, if, if you feel convicted, if, if anything starts standing out to you, then go do it because the building up of the church depends on your using your gift. If you don't use it, the gift, there isn't a substitute for it. The gift's just lost. There's no substitute for you and for the gift package God gave you. The church work, the work of building up the church is simply hindered 
It's simply lost. I'd like to just conclude with this. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that some super special Christians with degrees behind their names and maybe a seminary uh, certificate could do the work of building his church. Jesus died for you. Fill in your name. He died on the cross for your sins so that you, after he first served you and washed your feet and went all the way down to the worst of the worst, hell itself, taking God's wrath, standing in your place, and then exhausting the wrath of God so that there's none left, he did all this for you so that you could now serve him. How are you serving him? Will you serve him? Do you want to serve him? If you don't want to, just take a look at Calvary again. Just take a look at how low he's going. Just look at him bleeding. Look at him dying. He's not up there because heaven thought this was an incredible idea just to do for fun. Jesus is hanging between heaven and earth because you and I needed a savior, someone to rescue us because we were in a horrible position and someone to lift us up to glory, which we could never climb to. Jesus did that. Now that he's served you this way, beloved, serve him. Now that he's washed your feet this way, then start washing other people's feet. Not to be impressive, not to build a ministry of your own and to build your own reputation, but just to exalt Christ. Let's pray.